0: All right, what is up, church? We are officially heading towards Christmas, and I could not be more excited. Let me be one of the first to wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm so excited. I love this time of year. I love everything about it. I love the pageantry, the expectation, the story of Jesus, the lights, the music. But I think most of all is the Christmas movies. I am a Christmas movie Junkie. I love them all. I love the classics. Uh, A few years ago, my wife started making me watch the Hallmark ones. Any of you Hallmark fans? That's okay. Not many of you. That's fine. And uh, I would love to tell you today that my wife still forces me to watch those Hallmark movies. I think I'd feel better about myself. But the truth is, I now watch them all on my own, and I love them. And I'm not ashamed to say that. So I'm admitting that publicly today that I love those Hallmark movies but I love Christmas movies and I'm not here to debate with you about what the greatest Christmas movie is because I'm gonna tell you what the greatest Christmas movie of all time is. And I don't want any emails, don't give me any phone calls, don't stop me in the hallway trying to change my mind. I believe without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest Christmas movie of all time is Christmas Vacation. Come on. That was a place to clap right there out of excitement and joy for Christmas Vacation. I love that movie. My mom says it's so stupid, but I don't care. I love it. And the reason I love it is the older I get, the more I relate to Clark Griswold, the dad in that film. Because here is a man who kind of has the wrong idea about Christmas, and he creates all of these standards and unrealistic expectations for what the perfect Christmas is going to look like, and not only what it's going to look like, but how everybody else is going to act and react to the greatness of this Father giving them the perfect Christmas. And I myself often do the same thing. I know exactly how Christmas Eve is gonna go and how Christmas dinner is gonna go, and I know exactly which gifts my kids are gonna be excited about when they open them. They never are, but I know, exactly what the perfect Christmas is going to be like. And oftentimes, even though our Christmases are wonderful and we share so many memories and traditions together as a family, somehow it never quite meets the expectations of what I've built up in my mind. And I've mentioned this because I think we do the same thing with God. We create these ideas about who God is and how the church is supposed to be and who Jesus is. And sometimes it will create these unrealistic expectations and standards that we place on ourselves. And when we do that, just like Clark, oftentimes we mess up and things don't quite go the way that we think that they will or should or could. Even Jesus, who is the savior of the world, people had expectations for how he was gonna be and how he was gonna live and how he was gonna act when he came. And Jesus defied expectations. And I wonder today, as I've been praying about this word, if there are some here today that maybe maybe you look at the world and you look around you and you have these wonderings of where God is. And man, if God is present, how could he let the things that are going on in the world happen? Or maybe you're somebody who's lonely this time of year, maybe feeling broken and you feel that God doesn't see you and he doesn't hear your cries and your prayers. But I wanna share with you a scripture that will kind of be the place where we dive off of because I wanna show you the true nature of God. This is something that Mark touched on last week and I I wanna begin with this idea that is found in Matthew chapter one in verse 23. And the Bible says, behold the virgin, shall be with child and give birth to a son and they shall call his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And I wanna help some people today who may be in a place of feeling hopeless and feeling like nothing you do ever gets you to that place of peace. And it seems like nothing you do makes God turn his ear towards you. But I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. And I wanna show you through his word that not only does he hear you, he is present walking with us, guiding us and leading us into everything that he has for our lives. As we kick this thing off, would you pray for me? I wanna pray for you and ask that God would bless us and meet us in this place. Dear Holy Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are here among us that you sent your only son, Jesus, to live and to die so that we could be set free. And God, I pray that we would not lose sight during this Christmas season of what your son, Jesus, did. And I pray today that if there are people in this place, God, that are experiencing hopelessness or loneliness, God, that this morning you would fill them with peace, and God, that you would let them know that you are near and among us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you've got your Bibles, open them up with me to the book of Luke, and we're going to look at the 19th chapter, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and I want to kind of set the stage for where we find Jesus in this story. I know during the Christmas season, we're very focused on the miracle of Jesus coming to earth and being born in a manger But when we come to Luke chapter 19, Jesus is entering kind of the home stretch of his ministry. We're at the point where he is marching along towards that moment where he will be hung on a cross and crucified so that you and I could be set free from our sins. In fact, before we get to Luke chapter 19, he has just performed a miracle and a healing has taken place. And it's on his way to Jericho. And when we come to 19, he is now entering in to Jericho. And I point this out because I believe that Jesus was at a stage where the news of who he was and the words that he preached and the miracles that he had performed had had gone far and wide. So there was expectation of him coming into this town. Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but he could not see because of the crowd for he was short in stature. So he ran on ahead of the crowd and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and welcomed Jesus with joy. And when the people saw it, they all began muttering in discontent. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a notorious sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, see Lord, I am now giving half of my possessions to the poor. and If I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this household because he too is a spiritual son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. In these first two verses, Luke points out a couple of very important things to us. Number one, we see that Jesus is only passing through Jericho. His journey doesn't stop there. He is mainly going through on his way to be crucified. And many believe that the only reason he went through Jericho on that day was to see this man that the people called a notorious sinner. And his name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, as Luke tells us, was rich. He wasn't just a tax collector, but he had a whole group of people that worked with him to collect, not just the taxes owed, but maybe went a little bit above and beyond. And now he had wealth and status in the community. He may have not been well-liked, but what did they say? It's lonely at the top. But by the standards of the world, Zacchaeus has arrived. I think it's interesting because in the world today, we have this thought process that if we just get a little bit more money, then we'll find happiness. Or maybe for some of us, we tell ourselves, man, if I just get that job, then I'll find happiness. Or man, if I could just get that promotion, boy, if I just had a few people that worked for me so I could tell them how to run this place right, man then things would be great. Man, if I could just get a few more followers on social media, I just need a few more friends, a few more likes, a few more retweets, then then if I could just get that verified status, then, man, things would be great. If I just identify the right way and socialize with the right group, then I will find happiness. But can I tell you that no matter how high we climb, up the the ladder of success that the world tells us is what we should want to achieve, we will never find the peace that we're looking for. Because I have realized in my own life that no matter how much outward success I experience, it will never be enough to give me an inner peace. When I first got into ministry, I tell people this all the time, that me and my wife were broke and we had two little kids and they were both in diapers, which that in itself, having two kids that close together, may have not been the smartest idea in the world, but that was the nature of our lives. And I don't tell you that we were broke and having problems financially to glorify the idea of being in poverty, but it's to show you that in spite of that, God continued to bless us and do things in our lives. But during that time, we could not afford to go on vacation ourselves. But there was a couple in the church who asked to meet with me. And and anytime a church person asks to meet with you, at least for me, I'm always a little bit on guard because usually they wanna tell you what you did wrong, something you did that offended them, that they didn't like. And at this, I was a little unsure of why this guy wanted to meet with me. But he pulled me to the side and he said, hey, the Lord laid it. On me and my wife's heart, we've got a timeshare down in Orlando, and we wanna bless you and your family. You can go and stay on us. All you gotta cover is your food. And so we thought, man, this is fantastic. So we load up the kids, and we drive from Tennessee down to Florida, and we get to this beautiful condo. Now, you gotta understand, we lived in a house, and I thank God for that house, but it was not a very nice house. And we walk into this condo, and it was amazing. The countertops were granite. The cabinets were new and nice. They actually closed when you pushed them shut. It was beautiful. They had a a sectional that we could all sit in and a big old flat screen TV on the wall. And when you went into the bedroom, there was a king size bed, which was perfect because then that meant I could still have room even though my children still kind of were in the bed with us at that time. And so I was so excited by all of these things. And I remember one night me and my wife were out on the balcony and we're looking at the pool that's in this area, and I said, man, if God would just give us this. I know there's only two bedrooms and the girls would have to share, but man, if we could have a house with granite countertops, man, if we could have a king-size bed, if we could have a community pool, then we would be happy. But here's the thing. People, People don't tell you that what works when your kids are little doesn't necessarily work the same when they're grown and in those teenage years. Because I've found that, that there's not enough distance that can be created when you have teenagers. I love my girls, but space is important. And, and God reminded me, because I kept saying to my wife the other day, I was like, man, I just wish we had more space. Even though we have the sectional and the king size bed and the, the countertops are granite, we got a community pool. And I found myself saying to her, man, I just wish we had more. I wish we had more space. I wish we had more rooms. I wish we had more, more, more opportunity to be able to spread out. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that trip that we took to Orlando. And it reminded me that no matter how much I get, no matter how much status or position or money or stuff that I get, it will never make me happy because the only peace that we can truly ever receive is not found in things, it is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That doesn't mean that when we start serving Jesus that he doesn't have things for us to do, but it means that the burden of the Lord is different than the burden of this world. Because when we're in relationship with Jesus, he walks alongside us, helping us to carry all of the burdens and things that he's placed on our lives. And if you hear nothing else today, I wanna tell you during a a season where we can get so caught up in consuming, I'm not telling you stuff is bad, but it will never give you what your heart is truly longing for. That only comes with a relationship with Jesus. And Zacchaeus knew this. He knew that even though he had status and position and money, something was still missing in his life. And so the Bible says that as Jesus was passing through, Jesus couldn't see him because of the crowd, because he was so short. And so, because he was short, the Bible says that he ran out ahead of the crowd and he climbed up in a tree just to get a glimpse of this man called Jesus that was walking by. You know, I've thought about this and realized this that a lot of times when we have shortcomings, in certain areas of our lives. It will cause us to overcompensate in others. I used to do this myself. Early on in ministry, I was only known for one thing. I was known as being creative. I can remember we had a membership class that our pastor would do, and all of the pastors would line up to the front of the stage. And he would go down the list and he would introduce us, and then he would tell everybody what we were good at. So he gets to the worship leader and he's like, oh, he's so anointed. He just leads us into the presence of God. You know, he gets to the youth pastor. Oh, he's so good with people. People love him. I don't have a better pastor on my staff than our youth pastor. And then he'd get over to the executive pastor. Oh, he's a leader of leaders. Oh my God, this man can lead anybody. And then he would get to me and he'd say, this is my Disney guy. He's creative. And I remember I would be so insulted I had these blind spots where I didn't realize that I wasn't good at other things. And because I wasn't good at pastoring, because I wasn't good at leading, because I didn't really know how to press into the presence of God, all I would do is I just was creative and I was a perfectionist and everything had to be a certain way. And the less people would follow what I told them to do, the more I would clamp down and do what I wanted to do. I had that takeover spirit. And I just, I had made up my mind that I could do it better All on my own. And it was all because I was weak in these areas. And so I thought, man, if I just get really dogmatic about the little stuff, and if I just get really creative, then then maybe my pastor will see me, and then maybe God will recognize me and elevate me to another position. And yet, no matter how much I clamped down and tried to be creative and tried to wow everybody, it never elevated me And after a while, God let me try that doing it alone thing because nobody wanted to serve with me or work with me. And one day, the executive pastor took me to the side, and I'll never forget this conversation. I talk about it a lot because it was a pivotal moment in my life. He took me out to eat, and I'm thinking he's about to give me a raise because I am so wonderful and so great. I'm such a blessing to the church. Surely he's gonna give me some money or something. That's what I assumed. And he pulled me to the side and he said, Paul, you suck at leadership. And I was taken aback and I was a little bit angry and upset. And he said, not only are you not a good leader, but you're really not a good pastor either. People don't wanna work with you. People don't wanna serve alongside you. And I got so upset and so defensive and so angry about that and started spouting off about all the good things that I did do. And he said, listen, I'm not telling you that because I want to beat you up. I'm telling you that because I believe that God has more for your life. And I'm not just telling you so that you can stay broken. I want to walk alongside you and help you to become everything that God has called you to be because God's got more for you than to just be the Disney guy. See, a lot of us like Zacchaeus, we, we try to get above the crowd and we think, man, if I just do a little bit more, if I just serve a little bit more, if I just give a little bit more, if I do all of these things, then maybe God will notice me. But I have learned that it is in the place of brokenness that God can use us more than when we try to act like we've got it all together. In fact, scripture tells us this. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Zacchaeus thought, I've got to climb up because I've got so many mistakes. And even though his name means pure one, nobody in that community thought he was pure. As a tax collector, he was hated and despised for his position. They saw him as a traitor. And he thought, people don't see me. So why would God want anything to do with me? Why would Jesus possibly be coming to see me in spite of everything that I've done? Not realizing that Jesus's whole purpose for coming through that town that day was to see this man that the people called a notorious sinner. I love what it says in verse five. It says, when Jesus reached the place, Now, remember, I told you in the beginning that Jesus is only passing through Jericho. His journey will end on this life somewhere else. But here it says, when he came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And Zacchaeus hurried down and he came and he welcomed Jesus with joy. want to stop here for a moment. This is the beautiful thing about this story. Zacchaeus thought because of all the religious folks that he was around, that that meant he had to do something to be seen by Jesus. I think that's how a lot of us get. We think to ourselves, well, I can't let Jesus in on everything in my life that's broken. We think like we keep secrets from God. Well, man, maybe if I maybe if I serve on that team, he won't know this other stuff that I've done. And maybe if I do this, and maybe if I do that. And we get it into our heads that we've gotta follow all of these religious things in order to be seen by Jesus. This is what Zacchaeus is doing. He does this undignified thing of climbing this tree, yet the Bible says when Jesus reached that place, he looks up and what does he do? He calls Zacchaeus by name. And he says, I have a purpose For your life. And the Bible says that He comes down and He receives Jesus with joy. And I believe this is the word that the Lord gave me for somebody today. That you may not know it because you think other people don't know you, other people don't care about you. You're able to walk in with the crowded community of faith and walk out without anybody knowing you exist. But can I tell you that, like Zacchaeus, Jesus? knows your name. And he's got a purpose and a destiny for your life. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what people say. Jesus came to this place for you because he loves you and wants to do great things through your life. Amen. I don't talk about this story much, but I really felt impressed by the Lord to talk about a time in my life that I hate to remember and go through. I talk a lot about my time in St. Louis and a lot of time in Tennessee and California, but I don't talk a lot about the place where I was serving before I came to community of faith. Years ago, I went to a church in Syracuse, New York, and let me tell you something. If you think it's cold here, you have experienced nothing like the horrors that exist in that community. And I went there, the church at one time had been one of the biggest churches, I believe it was the biggest church in that area. And yet they were on a decline, there were a lot of issues, there were a lot of problems. And so they asked me to come and be their pastor. So I went to be the lead pastor of that church. And there were a lot of issues, financially, structurally, there was just a, a lot of issues. But I went because I believed that God gave me a vision for that place, that God had a word that he wanted me to give these people. And I would pray and I would fast. And the longer that I was there, the more that I would begin to uncover about what was truly broken at that place. See, sometimes you have no idea how bad something is until you start looking around and really looking at some of the core issues that exist. And unfortunately, the more that I dove in to things at that church, the worse that I saw things were. And for me, I can deal with a lot of stuff, but I cannot deal with foolishness in God's house. And for me, I live my life according to this word, and I can't deviate from it. This is what dictates my life. And some of the issues had us off track, and I believed out of alignment with the will of God. and so. As a young pastor, ready to go, ready to take on hell with a water pistol, I dove in and started addressing some of the issues. And after a while, it became clear that not everybody wanted to see some of these changes take place. And I remember I was on vacation with my family. I was home for Thanksgiving. And I basically got an ultimatum by email that I either could submit to what they wanted to do or that I could resign. And I had to really pray about that because we were coming up to the Christmas season. I hadn't been at the church very long in spite of the fact that we saw growth. We saw some of the biggest giving in the church's history. I thought we were doing good. But there were just some things that I felt like if we didn't deal with spiritually, the church was never gonna get right. And I prayed and I came to a crossroads where I had to decide, am I gonna politic and am I gonna bow down so that I can keep a job and keep my family comfortable? Or am I gonna be the man of God that I've been called to be and am I gonna stand on his promises and his word and do what I believe is right? And you know, the interesting thing is when you take on a job like lead pastor, you can't believe how many friends you'll have. Even though not everybody in the church like me Man, people were calling me from all over. Man, I'd love to come work with you. I'd love to be a part of what you're doing. Pastors who had been mentors and leaders in my life. Man, I'll come out and preach for you. All these things, it was fantastic. So I come to this moment of decision and I decided to resign. And I can tell you that I have never been so hurt my life one of the reasons i don't talk about it is because i don't like to relive that moment in my life all of a sudden all the people that had been calling me wanted nothing to do with me all of a sudden it was like they lost my number i can tell you some of the most ruthless vile and vicious people in the church have titles associated with their names like elder and deacon pastor and churchgoer people left me, didn't care about my family, didn't care about what happened to us. And so we loaded up to go move in with my family. And I was so broken and I was so hurt and I was so angry at God. Where are you in the life of my family? I have faithfully served. I've gone everywhere you've told me to do. And everybody has turned their back on me. Pastors that I call mentors and friends all of a sudden didn't really want anything to do with me anymore. I'll never forget one man in particular. I would tell everybody this guy was my mentor. So I saw like a spiritual dad in my life. And I'll never forget talking to him on the phone. And he, he was talking about how he could help me in this situation. And then he said some words that I will never forget. He said, you know, Paul, the only reason that I'm calling you today is because this is a mutually beneficial arrangement. I figure if i do something for you that will ultimately benefit me he broke me in that moment because i realized that for many churches and many pastors that i had worked for i was nothing more than a transaction i do something for you and then you do something for me and this led to a place of depression and anger i would journal daily telling god how mad it was I was. To this day, I won't even let my wife read what I wrote in those pages because I was so broken in that moment. And so I got it into my head that I was going to climb up the ladder of success and shove it straight down their throats. I thought to myself, man, you know what? I'll just get real good at business and I'll start making a lot of money. And once I have all of this financial success and status and they see what I'm doing on social media, then I'm gonna go buy that church and I'm gonna fire everybody in it. You can't buy a church, but I didn't know that. And I thought for sure that was the way to go. Plotting and scheming and thinking about how I could shove it in their face, how they had hurt me and how they had wronged If I could just get high enough, then I'd have peace. Then I'd have everything that I wanted. And I thank God there was one pastor in my life who didn't abandon me. And he met me in the broken place where I was. It was my pastor down in Tennessee, and he called me up. And he said, Paul, he said, I want you to do what they did in Acts. And he said, I want you to dust off your feet And he said i want you to get back up and keep going he said they may have rejected the word that you had for them but somewhere someplace god has a people that need to hear the message that god has laid on your heart and i'm so grateful that god could see into my future that four years later in houston texas there might be somebody who needs to hear a message of hope that when everybody else has forgotten your name Jesus still calls you. And when I got to that place of brokenness, where I said, God, here I am. As the mess that I am, if you'll take me, if you'll use me, I got no money. I got no job. I got no house. I just have me. And I'm so grateful that he was willing to pick me up out of that place so that I could be you. And I just wanna tell somebody that Jesus knows your name. And in spite of what everybody else may have done and said, he's still got a plan for you. One of the things that encourages me about this scripture is that Jesus himself is walking in this moment. And the religious people, in spite of the fact that Jesus is the one who called them, they can't stand it. Well, I can't believe it, he's with a sinner not realizing that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of a savior. But I love what Zacchaeus does. The Bible says that he receives Jesus with joy and they begin to walk together. And as they're walking, Zacchaeus gets this revelation and he says, hey, Jesus, I'm gonna give away half of everything I have to the poor and anybody that I've wronged or made mistakes with i'm going to give them back four times as much jesus says salvation has come to this place because the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost listen if you study back in luke 18 or mark chapter 10 jesus encountered another rich young man and the bible says that when he came to this rich young ruler the rich man comes to him and says jesus What must I do to be saved? And so Jesus, he's good like this. He'll expose us when we think we've got it all together. And he goes, hey, all you gotta do is be perfect. Follow all the laws, follow all the commandments and you'll be good. So man, that rich young man thought, man, I got this together. I am rich and I am wise and I am religiously awesome. And he starts telling Jesus, I've done it all since I was a little kid. I have been absolutely perfect. And Jesus said, great, now sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And the Bible says that that man went away sorrowful that day. Why do I tell you that? Because many people act like him and think that we've got to somehow climb up and do all the works that we can in order to receive God's grace. And yet Zacchaeus shows us how it really works, that it isn't by works that I receive grace, but it is out of the place of receiving grace that I do works for the kingdom of God. So why do I give? I don't give because it scores points with Jesus. I give because he's given so much to me. Why do I serve? Because he first gave his life and served me. You don't have to work what Jesus has already freely given. But today I believe that you have a choice. And just like with Zacchaeus, Jesus is passing by in this moment and he came for you. He knows your name. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you've done. But he says, if you'll receive me with joy, I will do a work in your life that will change you forever. And nobody will ever have to beg you to do anything again for the kingdom of God because you'll just be grateful that he gave his life for you. And out of that, you'll do anything and everything that he asks. And here's what I want to challenge you with in this moment. How will you receive Jesus? Will you walk away sorrowful because following him may mean you got to lay some stuff down? Or will you receive him with joy Some of you have bought into the lie that you got to climb up some spiritual mountain in order to experience his grace. And I just came to tell you that is a lie of the devil. All you got to do is come and Jesus will heal you. He'll make you whole. He'll give you a comfort and a peace that you have never known. And I think especially during the Christmas season, we need him in our lives. So here's what I'm gonna do. If I have any of the prayer team or pastors or staff in the room, I just would ask that you come down at the front. We're getting ready to pray and I'm closing with this. In just a moment, we're gonna pray. But listen, if you're in this place and you're hurting and you're broken and you got some mess on the inside of your life and you're ready to give it over to Jesus, we've got people that are gonna be down at the front ready to pray with you. Maybe you've never met Jesus before. You don't know who this guy is, but you're ready to make a decision to follow him. I would invite you to come down. And here's gonna be the test. Listen, it's one thing to take a step of faith and get out of your seat. It's another thing to keep pressing in if there's a line and thinking to yourself, man, I got so much more to do today. I got so much more going on. Listen, don't miss this moment to start off your Christmas season with hope and joy. It doesn't come from stuff, but comes from here. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me pray for you. And then I just want to invite you to come if you need prayer today. Dearly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you came, that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. And God, just like the song says, you are faithful to your people. And so I pray right now, God, for every person under the sound of my voice. God, whether they're in the room or watching online. God, if they came in today broken, God, I pray that you'd bring them wholeness. God, if they came in today with hope deferred, God, I pray they would find hope in you. God, if they came in with chaos going on in their lives, Lord, I speak peace to it right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that hearts would be mended and people would be made whole right now in the power and the name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We love you.